Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. It is game day on Gamecock Central Radio. Glad to have you along again, everybody. Emerson Phillips, Wes Mitchell, and Chris Clark. Fellas, uh, good to be back with you again today and a huge ball game today. I, I tell you, this feels like a very interesting game to me because of uh, the, the different directions that these two teams are trending in right now and the fact that, you know, the last five games in the series have been decided by three points or less. Carolina-Tennessee is always a close game. It's always a dog fight. And it just feels like today could be more of the same. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean um... – you always feel a little bit iffy, I, I think, especially South Carolina fans out there. Um, when the Gamecocks start to feel a little too good about themselves as a fan base, um, I, I think that's when you kind of – it feels like that's when South Carolina has some letdowns. And obviously everybody uh, thinks Tennessee is, is dead in the water here. Uh, but then you look, at, you look at Vegas and Tennessee's still favored in this football game, even with uh, just um, – absolute collapse against Georgia two weeks ago before their bye week. So, I, you know, I go into this game, guys, not really knowing exactly what to expect. Uh, you know, I think South Carolina will probably win the game just um, partially based on uh, their locker rooms right now and sort of the difference in the two locker rooms right now as far as where these programs are. But um, at the same time, am I going to be a bit surprised 
if uh, if Tennessee wins this game? Absolutely not. South Carolina traditionally has gotten in some weird games in Knoxville, and they've struggled to win games in Knoxville. Chris, e even though they've had a shot to win, I mean, you go back from now all the way back to like 2000, uh, think of all the close games that South Carolina has lost in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, you're exactly right. Very difficult place for them to win. I mean, guys, remember that game when Steve Spurrier, I mean, the Josh Brown game when they went down there in 2005 and, and won that game. And, I mean, that that was like the breakthrough of all breakthroughs. You know, to go and win at Nayland Stadium uh, was, was really something else. So it is a tough place to play. Um the, the team this year is down, the fan base. We've seen all the things about how they're essentially, you know, begging students to come to the game. They've got a lot of turmoil, um, even though the publicly the faces of the program, whether it be Butch Jones or the players, are saying all the right things. But they've definitely had some difficulties and uh, not playing well. They've had some injuries that have, that have been difficult. But look, uh, the way that I put it in a forthcoming or a piece that just ran on our side is that, look, this isn't a game in which South Carolina can go to Knoxville, play poorly, and expect to win. You know, um, the South Carolina program is not at that place yet. So um, there's some vulnerabilities on both sides, and we've seen South Carolina play poorly this year and, and lose a game and then get itself into a dogfight with Louisiana Tech. We've seen them play really well, uh, like they did last week against Arkansas, especially defensively. So. Uh, even though Tennessee has not lived up to billing, there's still a lot of talent on this roster. Um, they just have a lot of questions. So USC still has to play really well and hit a lot of their key areas that they have to hit in order to have success. So, fellas, the Gamecocks have got a lot of confidence and momentum after blowing out Arkansas last week, the three defensive touchdowns, and, and just a good game all around for South Carolina. And I think the Gamecocks feel good right now at 4-2 and two, given the injuries that they've had this year and – you know, some of the problems that have gone on, 4-2 and two is not a bad spot to be for South Carolina right now. So with the win against Arkansas, they carry some momentum into Knoxville today. And it feels like Tennessee has absolutely zero momentum right now. They're coming off the bye week. They were embarrassed at home two weeks ago, beaten 41 to nothing by Georgia. Shut out for the first time since 1994. And their offense has been completely stagnant. They have not scored a touchdown in six quarters. 22 straight possessions they've gone without producing an offensive touchdown. So they have been forced to change quarterbacks. You know, I, I, to say that it's out of necessity does not begin to describe the situation. And I heard it described as a desperation move this week. So let, let's start there with Tennessee. They've announced a change in starting quarterback. It's going to be Jarrett Garantano, redshirt freshman, who has played in three games this year, but he's making his first college start today against South Carolina. So yeah, talk about uh, the Tennessee situation here, fellas. They're trying to find something on offense. they got a fantastic running back in John Kelly, but that's all they've had offensively this year, Wes. Yeah, and I think, uh, like you said, they, they almost – have to make this move I, I think uh, just to try and you know give some semblance of rallying this season I think a lot of their fan base has given up not just on this season but has given up on Butch Jones as a coach so uh, when you're when you're that bad on offense um, obviously the John Kelly kid is outstanding he's uh, second in the SEC in yards uh, rushing yards per game uh you know, is, is great for them, not just in the passing, not just in the running game, in the passing game as well, I should say. Uh, so, you know, he kind of drives that bus, but he can't do it alone. They've had offensive line problems, which I, I think going to Garantano, you know, who's a little bit more of a runner than um, Dormandy was, is, is probably a, a good move. But at the same time, 
you're not talking about a kid who's played much at all. You know, I think he's thrown, um, what, 12 passes this year or something? I know he hadn't thrown many. Uh, I don't have them right in front of me. But, you know, the kid is, has not really, when he's been in there, got to do a whole lot. He's not got to stretch the field a whole lot. So, um, certainly South Carolina is going to have to be wary of his ability to run the football um, as a quarterback. That always gives you a little bit better numbers up front. But um, at the same time, I, I think this is a situation where South Carolina could could force some some issues and maybe force some mistakes and you know as well as Tennessee recruits guys they they really have not been good at the other offensive positions either and I I think we saw South Carolina play a little more man coverage in defense on defense uh, last week and sort of force those Arkansas receivers to to, uh, to get open and they weren't able to do that they brought a little bit more pressure um, I, I don't know how much man you can play against a running quarterback but at the same time you don't get the impression, Chris, that other than than maybe John Kelly, that there's a whole lot of guys on this Tennessee offense that are just going to scare you defensively. Yeah, and I think you made some good points there. The the other guy that I think would would be classified as that as that other scary quote unquote uh, matchup would be Marquez Callaway, and he's a guy that's been banged up for Tennessee, and apparently they'll have him back. Um, he's a he's a very talented wide receiver. Watched him. Uh, earlier in the season in a game or two and um, he's really talented he's a guy he's he's one guy on that roster that can win you some one-on-one matchups get open deep make some things happen in the open field Um, for for me you know and we know what Kelly can do and so that's obviously going to be a focal point for the Gamecocks you know up front Tennessee like you said Wes has struggled up there and, and they've got some guys with experience and talent I mean they start a couple of five stars, former Rivals.com five stars on the offensive line, whether it's Trey Smith, who to his credit is a true freshman, and he's probably going to be a very good player, and then Drew Richmond um, and and some other guys with experience. But it just hasn't clicked yet, and, and some of it's been the quarterback, but some of it I think has been on play calling. I mean, you go back and look at the the Florida game and, and Vol fans and people around college football who, who really follow it were – just hammering Tennessee's coaching staff because they didn't give the ball to John Kelly, you know, when they needed to go down there and score. And so uh, I think that would be a positive for South Carolina if they did some things that were, you know, sort of inexplicable from a play calling standpoint. But um, Garantano, he could give them a spark with, with running the ball or making some plays, or he could play like a guy making his first real start. And for me, it's really been telling that this is his first opportunity because this is a guy we're talking about who is a a rivals a former Rivals 100 selection, uh, a guy that had a lot of arm talent and and some mobility, but thus far in his career just hasn't put it together. You know, we all saw the images of him in their game against Georgia Tech to open the season, had really bad you know body language on the sideline and just hasn't played sparingly and and hasn't seemed to put it together yet. But but he does have some talent. And so I think the coaching staff will probably design some ways to try to make things, try to make him think, try to make things difficult on him in this game. Tennessee is 13th in the SEC in scoring at about 24 points a game ahead of only Vanderbilt. And they're also next to last in the SEC at yards per passing attempt, 6.1 yards per pass attempt, 13th in the conference. So offensive line has been a concern for Tennessee. Even though they haven't given up a tremendous amount of sacks, they've given up five sacks this year. That's actually not bad. Just the offense has been sluggish. It has been utterly stagnant. Shut out two weeks ago against Georgia in six straight quarters without an offensive touchdown. So they're searching for answers in Knoxville. And 
fellas, you know, the offensive problems are one thing. But then when you consider that Tennessee has had two fights in practice this season, uh, one week before last, that resulted in stitches to the face of a Tennessee offensive lineman after getting kicked in the face by their top defensive lineman, Daryl Taylor. Taylor was already suspended for the first half of the South Carolina game for fighting. He was ejected for fighting at the end of the Georgia game. And then several days later, Thursday of last week, he gets into this fight with Trey Smith, his teammate, kicks him in the face. Smith goes to the doctor and gets stitches. And Taylor has now been suspended indefinitely by Tennessee. So, you know, the offensive problems, X's and O's, personnel and talent, that's one thing. But when you talk about infighting in the locker room, that seems to be a real problem. And, Chris, that's where the concern about leadership in the Tennessee football program, that's really where it starts. And this is where Butch Jones is getting a lot of heat. Sure. Now, Emerson, it's important to remember, Shy Tuttle, he fell on a helmet. Okay, so there, there was no fight. Um, he, he fell on a helmet. I mean, that was the most <laughs> – the odds of that, that was one of the more preposterous, you know, explanations you hear. But, no, I mean, they, they obviously have problems. And we sort of touched on it earlier in that, you know, they're saying that the people who have been made available to the media, as well as Butch Jones, are saying the right things. But, I mean, you don't expect them to go up there and say, yeah, we've really had some problems and we're trying to work through them. Or, yeah, our locker room's lost. They've got some issues there. It's pretty clear. And the thing is, this this has been a trend for you know we saw it last year with Jalen Hurd um and and part of it yeah I mean every school you're gonna have some guys who are a little bit more I guess prima donna or whatever you want to call it that that's part of recruiting but if you're recruiting too many of them or if you can't rein them in that becomes an issue and it wasn't just this year it wasn't just last year it's been happening for years I mean I, I know Wes can attest some other guys that cover recruiting, cover college football across our network can attest that we've been hearing about some problems with, with Tennessee's locker room or culture or whatever it may be for quite a while. And I think those types of things can bleed over to your performances. And so it's hurt their depth. It's, it hurts when you lose a starter in Daryl Taylor because, you know, he's not available because he's fighting a teammate. I mean, th- those things hurt with those decisions. But it also bleeds over into your team's effort and the buy-in and the want to. And that's one thing you can say about South Carolina is that, you know, that's that's been very, very positive. So Tennessee, you may look at it and say, well, they've still got a more talented team overall, and you, you could probably be right about that. Um, but but it, there is something to be said for coaching and development and, and the state of your locker room. And so maybe that, you know, becomes an edge for South Carolina in this game. Yeah, Wes, you know, Tennessee – it's one thing to have an isolated incident. Sometimes teammates just don't get along. I think we understand that, and occasionally a fight will break out in practice. This is not the first time this has ever happened. But when you have it happen twice in one season and you have players leaving the program in midseason, it, there's just a lot of questions about Tennessee. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that uh, Tennessee is, a, is completely a house of fire at this point, but there are questions that I think are legitimate ones that Tennessee fans are asking about their program that people on the outside looking in are asking about Tennessee football. So a lot of reasons for concern for Tennessee right now. They're 3-2 and two overall. They're 0-2 in the SEC. Had they not come back to beat Georgia Tech in the season opener in Atlanta, this would be worst-case scenario start to a season for the Volunteers. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the funny thing about it to me, Emerson, is that it feels like just the way everybody's sort of the perception of the Tennessee program right now from their fan base and outsiders 
is that, you know, that it's sort of a dumpster fire. Uh, it, it almost – it doesn't feel like they have won nine games the last two years. And I, I know I know Tennessee fans uh, have greater aspirations of that. They want to win the East. They want to compete uh, for the SEC. But, uh, you know, nine wins, it's not like this thing has gone completely off the rails as far as the win-loss record the last couple of years. But I think – that that stuff y'all are talking about, like you said, it sort of bleeds over. This day and age, it is very, very hard to keep that type of thing, you know, keep those things roped in and, and keep it in-house, so to speak. Uh, social media, uh, you know, message boards, if something happens, eventually it, it gets out. So, uh, you know, you've heard stuff like this for, for a while now. It seems like it's catching up to Tennessee. And uh, and like you said, yeah, they, they escaped from Georgia Tech, but um, – it's not just that they lost to Georgia. I think it's the way they lost to Georgia at home, 41 to nothing. Um, Georgia's a really good football team, don't get me wrong. But obviously, I, I think there was some quit. There was a lack of pride. If you get beat like that, you know, you're year five at Tennessee. You've got, you've got highly recruited players on that roster. If something like that happens, I think everybody says, wow, there's something wrong here. And then, you know, we just looked back. If you look ahead on this schedule – why is South, this South Carolina game so important for them? Because on deck, Tennessee has Alabama. So much like what Arkansas is feeling this week, they needed to beat South Carolina before facing Alabama. Um, now you have Tennessee, who is winless in the SEC, needs to beat South Carolina because they've got Alabama on deck. If they don't beat South Carolina, then they're starting the SEC 0-4. Yeah, interesting. This is the third straight Gamecock opponent that will face Alabama the following week. So, uh, just kind of a quirk into scheduling this year. But uh, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and now Tennessee will face Alabama after South Carolina. So, let's talk about um, Brent Hubbs from VolQuest.com. He joined us earlier this week on Gamecock Central Radio to give us the Tennessee perspective. The podcast that we did with Brent is up on GCR right now. We invite you to check that out. Very interesting. And, Wes, you bring me to the next point, and that is that uh, Brent said that this game is a pride game for Tennessee. Bottom line is that uh, they have not played well this year, particularly on offense like we talked about. So we're going to find out what Tennessee is made of today at Neyland Stadium. And, you know, I've been trying to, def- to decide all week, is Carolina catching Tennessee at just the right time or could it be just the wrong time? You know, it may be that Tennessee comes out pissed off today and they show some some spunk and some fire that they have not shown in recent weeks. Or, you know, it could be that starting uh, Garantano, the redshirt freshman getting his first college start, that, you know, they just don't have much identity on offense and they're going to struggle to move the football again today. I don't know what we're going to see. But it feels like, Wes, you said last week Arkansas was a swing game for South Carolina. It really feels to me like today is a swing game for Tennessee. Yeah, it really is. And and then you look at what it would mean for South Carolina. I mean, now that they have won that Arkansas game, they sit at 4-2. and two. They have their bye week next week. South Carolina could uh, would realistically very much, I think, accept the fan base would 5-2 and two. Uh, going into the bye week, if you'd asked them if they would sign for that before the year, when you consider where things were, uh, you know, even this time last year, and obviously the three-win season the year before, so uh, this is a big game, I, I think, for both programs, but for different reasons. And and I think you're right. If you're South Carolina, you don't need to go into this thing too overly confident because this is still going to be a dog fight. I I don't think Tennessee. I might be wrong. I don't think they're going to just lay down. I, I think you you work regardless of the locker room issues. These guys work way too hard all off season, all year long. 
to only get to play, you know, 13, 14 games a year and then just lay down for a game. You know, I, I, even if there's locker room issues, I, I, I don't think Tennessee just lays down again after being embarrassed two weeks ago by Georgia. So I, I think South Carolina has a fight on their hands, and I, I think that the Gamecocks cannot go into this thing overly confident. And and I, I think one key is is the start of the game. You know, I, I, look, I watched the Tennessee-Georgia game. Tennessee came out, I, I think, threw a pick right off the bat, got off to an awful start. Georgia just sort of punched them in the mouth a few times early on, and that was that. I think uh, how, how this game goes early could determine a lot because, you know, on, on one side you've got this, this young redshirt freshman quarterback. Tennessee will, will, I'm sure, script their first 10, 15 plays or so, and he'll be very comfortable in those first drive or two of plays. So uh, I think for South Carolina you kind of have to avoid that initial shot uh, from those guys, if you can do that and then make Garantano actually settle in and try to win this game and keep John Kelly from being the one that beats you, then I think at that point you really like South Carolina's chances. Um, on the other side, if South Carolina could just jump on Tennessee and get them you know, into a, a here-we-go-again mindset, then uh, obviously that would that would very much point in the Gamecocks' favor. Yeah, turnovers have been a real problem for Tennessee. They got 10 turnovers this year. They're minus four in turnover margin. The Gamecocks are plus seven in turnover margin. And Quentin Dormady, the uh, previous starting quarterback for Tennessee, the, the junior who started the first five games of the season, threw six interceptions and had two fumbles. So that was eight of Tennessee's ten turnovers right there. So that's the reason that the Vols have turned to redshirt freshman Jarrett Garantano today making his first college start against the Gamecocks. Gamecock Central Radio's game day podcast, Emerson Phillips, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. Let's talk about the Gamecocks, fellas. We went 20 minutes on Tennessee today to open our game day podcast. I suppose it's about time we talked about the Gamecocks a little bit. Uh, Chris, what an outstanding performance for the Gamecocks on Saturday. You know, offense, defense, special teams, all phases were solid. But, man, that defense, three touchdowns for the Gamecock defense. The first time in school history that Carolina had scored three TDs with the defense in one game. And really, it could have been four. You remember the fourth one was overturned on a, a video replay. So, you know, it just couldn't have been a much better day for South Carolina last week. West talked about it all week and on our game day podcast last Saturday. It was a swing game for the Gamecocks, and they came out throwing haymakers. Yeah, they did. And I think what stood out about the, the play of the defense was we know this has been an opportunistic group in terms of creating turnovers. Um, it, it was a surprise to see three defensive scores. It doesn't matter the team, anybody, even a great defense, you're going to be sort of surprised by three defensive scores. But just the way that South Carolina's defensive line dominated Arkansas up front was really surprising to me. Um, you know, and, and really a lot – most of it was against the run game. Uh, Will Muschamp wasn't really happy with South, how South Carolina rushed the passer late in that contest. They did some good things rushing the passer, but late they sort of got away from it. But the the, the one consistent thing all game was that when, when Arkansas tried to – you know, establish their identity, which is to run the ball, whether it was inside, outside, however they tried to do it, South Carolina largely shut it down. I mean, they just did not give them much on the ground at all. And so I think a, a lot of credit has to go to the defensive coaching staff and those players because that's what really got Arkansas into some of those bad situations that helped create the turnovers is that whatever Arkansas tried to run the football, South Carolina shut it down. And they did some good things offensively in that game too, but but the defense was really the story of the day, I think. 
Yeah, Wes, you know, I thought that drive by the Gamecocks late in the first half, the, tr- the superb touchdown catch by Brian Edwards right before halftime really shifted the momentum of the game. It was a tight ball game. It was a 10-10 game. The Gamecocks went down in the final two minutes of the half and got that score right before halftime and then opened the second half with another drive that resulted in a field goal, and Carolina was up 20-10, to and that's when the defense really started to put the thumb screws to Arkansas. So, you know, it was a complete team win, and Wes, I was impressed with that Gamecock offensive line. You know, what really was a patchwork offensive line they played extremely well. Carolina ran the football well, and they stopped the run defensively, and that's the two things you got to do to win in the SEC. Yeah, they did play well. You know, that was something else we talked about, Emerson, is that that Arkansas defensive front uh, was not the caliber of, you know, say a Texas A&M. They struggled to uh, play on the other side of the line of scrimmage to create tackles for loss, negative plays, and I, I thought South Carolina um, – you know, especially against Arkansas, was able to get them behind the sticks defensively, put them in second and long, made them throw the football. And we all know that's not what they like to do. They want to get four or five yards running the football on first down and put themselves in second and medium, second and short, and then be able to either run the football again or go play action. So I thought South Carolina took them out of their game a bit. Like you said, that drive at the end of the first half was so big because I felt like South Carolina – had just absolutely outplayed Arkansas in the first half, but it, it felt like one of those games where it was going to go in 10-10, to 10, even though South Carolina had outplayed them. So, so that was a big drive. Uh, like you said, they drove down their first drive of the second half and kicked a field goal, um, narrowly missed. Another one of those narrow, miss, narrow misses we talk about uh, had a little out route to Hayden Hurst that Bentley just missed uh, that, that would have been a touchdown there. And the other thing, Emerson, that popped in my mind was okay, this is the exact same situation South Carolina was in last week at A&M, middle of the third quarter, up by 10, need to put a team away. And in this case, it was the defense with all those big plays that was able to put them away. And and then the other side of that, though, I like the fact that South Carolina, once they went up 34-10, to their offense finally got the ball back. You know, they missed three possessions because of those touchdowns. Once they finally got the ball back, they knew they were running the football. Arkansas knew they were running the football. They ran it six straight times for 38 yards. Then they hit a six-yard pass for a first down. Then they ran it three more times. Then they had a play-action pass for the touchdown. So uh, that was a put-away type drive that I, I think I've seen over the years. South Carolina sort of get in a position where a game is over and they can't just quite put a team away, and that team is able to score a couple touchdowns and and at least make those fans start sweating a little bit. So uh, I thought that put-away drive from the offense was pretty nice as well. Yeah, Chris, uh, T.J. Brunson scored his first ever touchdown. As long as he's been playing football, he had never scored a TD, and he got one with that uh, 73-yard fumble return after the Dante Sawyer strip sack. Sky Moore got the interception return for a touchdown, and late in the game it was Keyshawn Nixon, the newcomer from Compton, California, that got the pick six. So, you know, it was just great to see the Gamecocks making plays, a real feel-good win for Carolina, a confidence builder, a morale booster, and uh, accolades for the Gamecocks this week as well. Gamecocks sophomore D.J. Wanham named SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week. So, uh, all around a great day. I mean, it was a party in the second half of Williams-Brice last week. <laughs> yeah, and, and you mentioned D.J. Wanham. He played outstanding. I mean, that that had to be the best game by far um, that he had as a Gamecock. Um, you know, really good. He did some good things rushing the passer. Uh, there's one sack that he could have had 
early on where he looked to have Austin Allen bottled up. But that was the one where Steven Montak was on a third down, I think, and he was able to dislodge the ball um, with a big hit from the receiver. Austin Allen found somebody open. But he's a pretty slippery guy in the pocket. Uh, but Wanham was really good, whether it was playing the run, playing the pass. Um, he was able to get off blocks really well. And just an example of a really good evaluation by the staff. I mean, DJ Wanham was a guy who was – he actually ranked by Rivals.com as a tight end, wanted to play tight end in college for a while. Uh, was committed to Indiana and and didn't have a big offer list really at all. And uh, Will Muschamp and, and Lance Thompson went by his school during that recruiting process and and just really really liked what they saw um, after they met him and after they you know checked him out, looked at the film, eyeballed him, and, and made him a priority. So uh, you know again they've done a good job develop, developing him. He's about thirty pounds heavier this year than he was last season and doing a really nice job for him. So definitely a confidence builder for that defense, like you said, Emerson. And uh, they've they've surpassed expectations for me this season with, with what they've been able to do helping carry this team. Yeah, so that pretty much tells a story about what we were talking about with these two teams, South Carolina and Tennessee, trending in different directions coming into the game. Carolina needed to beat somebody. Arkansas is not all that. We're not trying to make Arkansas out to be, you know, top 10 team. But the simple fact of the matter is that Carolina needed to beat somebody. Did it in convincing fashion last Saturday at Williams-Brice. So the Gamecocks are 4-2, and two, and they're headed to Knoxville to day with an opportunity to get to five and two before the bye week so let's talk about that a little bit and you know not only is it a chance to get to five and two and three and two in the league fellas it seems to me like Tennessee is standing on the cliff looking over and all the Gamecocks got to do is give them a little push and Tennessee will go tumbling off the cliff but some folks think because it is such a big pride game for Tennessee that they're going to turn and fight and get their way back to safe ground. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out today, fellas. Really interesting matchup between the Gamecocks and Vols, Wes. Yeah, and I think uh, <laughs> metaphorically South Carolina is up 10 in the middle of the third quarter right now and just needs to put Tennessee away. Um, and I, I think that, that Tennessee uh, fans, some of them, want for South Carolina to put Tennessee out of their misery, it, it seems like, and just uh, – sort of go in for the kill shot. So I think that as far as this game, not only is it an opportunity for South Carolina to continue uh, to pad wins, but also it's a chance for South Carolina to, uh, you know, maybe knock a division, I don't know if I should say rival, but definitely a division opponent down a rung. And I think we've talked all year about how there's sort of an upper SEC right now that's pretty clear, and there's a lower SEC. I think, you know, Alabama – then Georgia, then Auburn is probably the top three. And I think we all know Ole Miss and Missouri are, are down there in the bottom. But in the middle, there's a whole lot of just teams all mashed together. And for South Carolina, you got an opportunity to move up within that middle class there in the SEC. And, um, you, you know, these opportunities don't always come along. There was a time when the SEC East was just loaded with teams. So uh, if you're South Carolina, you got to take advantage of it because uh, you realistically – and if you win this week, you can get bowl eligible against Vanderbilt. And for a team that had won three games, as I keep saying, just a couple of years ago, uh, that is a sign of major, major progress. And I, I think um, one one other note on, on that Arkansas game that I, I think is worth mentioning, Emerson, like you said, Arkansas is not a world beater. But the way South Carolina has defended the run last year and the year before and even the year before that to an extent – uh, and struggled to defend the run. I, I think the most encouraging thing about that win over Arkansas 
was the way South Carolina filled gaps, was the way they played on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and the way that they stopped Arkansas. Not a great team, but, but South Carolina played Arkansas, their run game, better than any other team that Arkansas has played this year. So I, I thought just the signs of progress there on that Carolina defense is something that, that fans can be excited about. Yeah, I've been extremely impressed with the improvement on defense by the Gamecocks this year. And, you know, they've been without Bryson Allen Williams, one of their top players, the last couple of weeks and have still continued to play well. We've talked all year about the fact that Carolina, you know, is a little bit thin in the secondary, but they got Keyshawn Nixon in the mix last week, and he made a big play. So, you know, all signs are go for the Gamecock defense right now. And I've been particularly impressed with the Gamecocks' ability to stop the run this year, even in the two losses to Texas A&M and Kentucky, the Gamecock run defense has been pretty good. So uh, very optimistic about the Gamecock defense, particularly coming off the performance against Arkansas. So i tell you what, fellas, let's take our first phone call of the day. We're going to go to the Gamecock Central hotline here. We do have three calls today. If you want to get involved with the Gamecock Central podcast, you can call the GC hotline. That number is 803-497-9058. It's 497-9058. And uh, if you have a question about Gamecock football or about an upcoming opponent, you can call the GC hotline, leave us a voice message, and we will play a recording of your voice on a game day edition of Gamecock Central Radio. And that's what we're going to do right now. Let's listen in first to Cameron calling in from Charleston. He wants to talk about Jake Bentley. Here's Cameron. Hey, guys. Um, Cameron calling from Charleston, South Carolina. I was calling to see, other than the offensive line having issues uh, with protection, what do you think is causing Bentley to overthrow his receivers? Um, seems like a majority of the time, and then he will obviously make some amazing throws when we need them. But it feels like we're just missing a lot of opportunities with some overthrown balls. Thanks. All right, Wes, we'll let you tackle this one. Thanks for the phone call, Cameron. Uh, high throws for Jake Bentley, Wes. Yeah, and I, I think um, certainly with Jake, you, you've had it, – it's been a strange year because I, I think for one – uh, Jake Bentley is held to a little bit different standard just because of his of his ability, a little bit different standard than uh, what most quarterbacks at South Carolina have been. I, I think um, Jake Bentley has played very, very well at times, but I, I think he has missed some throws that we are used to watching him make. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of a, of a gunslinger mentality. I kind of have a theory um, that I think a little bit of it is the fact that there's been so much more put on Jake Bentley this year from a mental standpoint that I think at times he maybe is thinking a little too much. Uh, to me, and I've mentioned this before, when you have a guy that is physically capable of doing something and then all of a sudden uh, it's just not quite there, uh, generally it becomes a mental thing. Uh, sometimes it's an injury. I, that's not the case here. So I, I think that with Jake Bentley, uh, they we talked all offseason about how this offense was going to have more to it how there's going to be more put on Jake Bentley. I think there's a bit of that to it. Because when he just goes and plays and finds that rhythm, then he's the same old Jake Bentley. And we still see him make just these these throws into absolute just tiny, tiny windows. But then we've seen him miss open guys too. So I, I, think, some, I think most of it is mental. A little bit of it is the uh, – maybe anticipating a pass rush, even though when it's not there at times and moving his feet and not getting his feet under him, I think. So uh, there's some physical aspects to it as well, but I think even that goes back to uh, the mental side. All right, Cameron, thanks again for the phone call on the GC hotline, 497-9058. Let's go back there. We've got a question here from Brooks from Greenville 
Talking about Kurt Roper. Roper was the subject of a lot of scrutiny last week uh, following the loss to Texas A&M, but now not a lot of talk about Kurt Roper and play calling this week so much as there was last week. But Brooks from Greenville calls in and wants to talk about Kurt Roper here. Hey, guys. This is Brooks down in Greenville. I just had a question about Kurt Roper and your thoughts on his job so far. I've seen a lot of pretty negative opinions online. Um, I myself am, you know, kind of on the fence about it, but just curious your thoughts on how he's done. Is he going to be the offensive coordinator going forward, you know, after this season? Is he the best option for the Gamecocks? Um, Just curious to see what you guys think. Thanks for the call. All right, Brooks, thanks for getting involved here on the Gamecock Central Game Day podcast on the GC Hotline. Wes, what do you think about Kurt Roper? Yeah, I think, Emerson, that – um, certainly he's been scrutinized play calling wise um, you know I, I have been of the opinion for a long time that a lot of that was a little bit unfair that generally you know fans when a play doesn't work uh, seem to naturally go towards the play call and I, I think you look that you know if you run the ball and it gets stuffed then you get this idea of oh you should have thro- you know, thrown it and if you throw the ball it's incomplete. Ah, why aren't we running the ball? So, so there has been an aspect to some of that. But at the same time, I, I think if we had Kurt Roper on here today, he'd tell you that the offense needs to be more productive at times. Um, uh, you know, fans are a little bit more settled in after the Arkansas game. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good game plan all the way around. I think the the thing this offense needs, Emerson, other than for Debo Samuel to make a miraculous recovery, <laughs> would be uh, just to, to – sort of miss on about you know about half of those plays that are so close you're never going to be perfect but those plays every single week that we talk about being so close to hitting that could be big plays if they could hit on about half of those that they're missing then all of a sudden I I think the production is going to go up because you can kind of see the pieces come together but it's like there's always a thing here or there that is off from keeping this offense from just having a really big day um and naturally, I think against Arkansas, it's worth mentioning that as good as it was that those the defense was scoring, uh, you know that that kept the offense from getting possessions during those plays. So it really took away an opportunity for them to put up a big day stat-wise against Arkansas. All right, thanks for the phone call, Brooks. Appreciate you getting involved. We have one more call today on the Gamecock Central Hotline, and this is our mystery caller of the day. Name and location unknown. Here's our mystery caller. Hey, guys. Uh, I was just wondering, um, with the offensive line troubles we've had this year, even whenever it seemed all five you know, starters were healthy against NC State, and I'm not saying they didn't run the ball well in the fourth quarter in that game, but it just seems like the running backs don't, don't normally have a lot of room to run. And um, I was just wondering if y'all thought that we're going to have to try to fix that through recruiting or just keep getting them stronger through the off season or what. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, that's our mystery caller today. Thanks for taking part in the GC Game Day podcast on the Gamecock Central Hotline. Wes, what do you think about the Gamecock running attack? Well, I think the running game, again, and I, people probably get tired of me saying it, but uh, this is true for the offense. It, it, there's been issues a little bit of everywhere, and I, I think that's the case with the running game as well. You know, sometimes it may be a play call. Other times, there are other times where there is a hole, but the running back is just simply missing that hole. Other times, I think, in short-yarded situations, man, you're, you're going to get hit. At times, the running backs have not been able to break tackles. And then, obviously, there's been times where the offensive line has just gotten 
engulfed by a defensive front. So I think South Carolina has to get better across the board there. We saw signs of that against Arkansas, but again, not a great defensive front, in my opinion, with Arkansas. Uh, they need to get healthy up front as well, but I think there's some positive signs in the running game and certainly the health of Rico Daddle. I think anybody can look and see that he did not look quite the same for that stretch of games in between, say, Missouri and uh, and last week. But then last week against Arkansas, I, Emerson, I thought Rico Dada looked as good as he has all year long. So uh, to me, that's a key as well because sometimes in this league, you're just you're not going to push back, push people back every single play. Sometimes your guy has just got to make somebody miss or or fall forward, you know, for a yard, yard and a half for that first down. So uh, yeah, offensive line has to be better, but. We, we all knew what they were doing with offensive line-wise in the first place, and then you, you take out three guys due to injury. Not an ideal situation for Eric Warford and those guys. So I, I think they just ha- kind of have to keep piecing it together, and at times they're going to have to run the football even when it's not working and, and keep teams honest. Yeah, I agree. I thought uh, Dowdle looked as good as he's looked all year, and Muschamp said uh, after the game Saturday that uh, you know he is healthier now than he's been. A little bit nicked up. I guess he was hurt. Uh, was it the – NC State game, he got banged up in that game, and it just took him a few weeks to kind of get back to 100%. So, yeah, that was an encouraging sign as well. So, all right, we appreciate our mystery caller on the Gamecock Central Hotline today, and also thanks to Cameron from Charleston, Brooks from Greenville. Call us on the GC Hotline, 803-497-9058. We'll get you in on our next Gamecock Central Game Day podcast. Bye week coming up here, Wes. So, really a big week for South Carolina. You know, I just feel like if the Gamecocks can get to 5-2, and two, and going into the bye week, they're going to get healthier. They're going to get a couple of these banged-up offensive linemen back closer to 100%, and the whole team will be healthier across the board, you know, having two weeks to prepare for its next opponent. So 5-2 and two sounds really good right now, Wes, and, you know, a chance to go to Knoxville and beat a Tennessee team that's really against the ropes right now, that sounds even better. Yeah, it does, and I think we've, we've used that word opportunity a ton this year. And uh, it is an opportunity for South Carolina. Uh, but also, I think this is a, a classic situation where South Carolina has got to avoid the letdown. Uh, you know, they're not favored in this game, but most everybody is going to pick South Carolina to win this game. Their confidence is at an all-time high right now. But th- their confidence reminds me a bit of what their confidence was going into that Kentucky game when nobody thought South Carolina was going to lose at home. So uh, this is still going to probably be a close football game. It's still going to come down to the little things, turnovers, red zone, who can stop the run, who can run the football, all those uh, sort of just uh, cliches we always talk about with football. But they're cliches because they're true. But if South Carolina executes Emerson, then I, then this is a game I, I think they'll win. Uh, I don't have them winning going away, though. I, I think they win a close, hard-fought football game. Um, and, and, yeah, let's let's go back to that word, though, opportunity. How many opportunities do you get to sort of make progress as a program? This is another opportunity and a chance for South Carolina to feel very, very good going into that bye week. Um, it is so much better for a team when you feel good going into that bye week than when you lose 41 to nothing like Tennessee did a couple weeks ago. Man, huge opportunity for the Gamecocks. You're exactly right, Wes. That's the word of the day. You know, Carolina's got a chance to beat a Tennessee team that they have struggled to beat in Knoxville, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast today. And 
um, you know, a chance to make it two in a row against the Volunteers. Tennessee is a rival. Wes, you said earlier, you know, maybe Tennessee, you suppose they're a rival. I forget exactly how you worded it, but Tennessee is absolutely a rival. And for the Gamecocks to have a chance to go up there and beat them today and make it two wins in a row over the Volunteers, you know, maybe bring up some more questions about the future of Butch Jones at Tennessee. I just think it's an opportunity that the Gamecocks have got to take advantage of. So, like I said, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I'm still having a hard time figuring out how Tennessee's favorite in this game, Wes. The the Vegas point spread, that's not Vegas saying Tennessee's three and a half points better. The, The point spread is based on the public's perception of what's going to happen, and the public right now seems to think that Tennessee is three and a half points better than the Gamecocks. I find that very interesting, and I'm not sure I agree. So we'll see how it plays out, man. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's get keys to victory today. We're going to listen in first to Brent Hobbs, who joined us earlier this week on Gamecock Central Radio. He's the publisher of VolQuest.com. That's our rival's network partner with the volunteers. And Brent Hobbs joins us right now to give us Tennessee's keys to victory today. I think when you look at Tennessee offensively, the first thing is can they get their young quarterback settled into the game quickly? Tennessee's only scored one offensive touchdown this year in the first quarter. Now they're changing quarterbacks. They're going with a redshirt freshman that's only appeared in three games, and, and Jerry Garantano, he's got a 50% completion percentage, uh, but most of his passes have been for less than 10 yards. He's completed 12 balls for a total of 54 yards. So can they settle him in, and can they stretch the field vertically? That's Tennessee's biggest challenge on offense because right now everything is a grind. There's no explosive plays or easy plays. Tennessee has to find them on Saturday. Then when you look at Tennessee defensively, I think the biggest challenge is do they, can they eliminate giving up the explosive plays? You go back to last year's matchup, it was a bust in the secondary that really changed that game quite a bit. Tennessee has to eliminate those. Obviously, the tight end for South Carolina Hurst has been a big play weapon. Tennessee has got to give, cannot give up those big plays they've given up in the past, not give up those 50-50 balls the way they have. So that's a big challenge for Tennessee defensively. The Vols do not have a ton of depth up front with the defensive front, defensive linemen, only going in with two upperclassmen defensive ends. Can they hold up physically there? Can a couple of young freshmen hold up and make the plays they need to make to keep Bentley in the pocket and not let him run around and make plays on them? Tennessee needs turnovers on defense. They've not forced nearly enough turnovers. The offense has given the ball up too much, but Tennessee's defense needs to generate a short field for this offense because it's going to be hard for Tennessee's offense, you would think, to drive it 12, 13 plays to get a score. They need a short field, and that's going to be on the Tennessee defense to do that. That That's a couple of keys for Tennessee on Saturday, a big game for Tennessee, a critical game with a lot of speculation about where this team is mentally. That's why the start of this football game is so important. That's Brent Hobbs, publisher of AllQuest.com, giving us Tennessee's keys to victory. And now we will send it over to Colin Taylor, our staff writer with Gamecock Central, for a look at Gamecock keys to victory. Obviously, this is a big game for South Carolina, coming off probably their most complete game under Will Muschamp. Tennessee, you know, you know, South Carolina really controlled the trenches against the Razorbacks, and I think that's going to be a big key um, Saturday against the Vols. Tennessee runs the ball really, really effectively. And um, have some really big guys on the inside on their interior defensive line. Uh, well, Muschamp said that's been kind of a, a point of emphasis this week in practice is being able to control the inside offensive or the offensive line being able to control the inside. So I think South Carolina is really going to come out and um, establish the run early because um, we've seen you know if they establish the run, then their passing game kind of opens too. It kind of makes defenses 
uh, creep up a little bit more, which opens up long passing lanes for Brian Edwards and Shai uh, Smith. Um, and I think they have to stop the run. If they uh, stop the run and force, you know, this this you know freshman quarterback who's making, you know, one of his you know first appearances at Tennessee, uh, I think you know it make him pass the ball and you know be mistake free. Um, it's going to force a lot of turnovers and opportunities for South Carolina's defense to be opportunistic. So I think they have to stop the run, and I think they have to run the ball, which is uh, I know keys to every game, especially for South Carolina, but it's um, especially key um, against a Tennessee team that's really good at running the ball and uh, has a defense that can can stop some of the best offenses um, besides Georgia a couple weeks ago. So those are the big ones. If they can stop the run and um, run the ball effectively with Rico Dattle, a healthy Rico Dattle, and Tyson Williams, I think that's going to be that's going to go a long way um, against the Vols. All right, thank you, Kyle. And there's Gamecock keys to victory today, Wes. A final thoughts as we get ready for a noon kickoff today for South Carolina and Tennessee. It'll be on ESPN. Yeah, I think uh, you know, like I said, man, I, I think it's just about South Carolina going out there and executing and uh, not getting too caught up in, in all the hype about how Tennessee's a dumpster fire and South Carolina's a program on the rise. If they're thinking about those things, they're going to lose this game. But uh, go execute keep playing like they have, and uh, and it should be a good day for the Gamecocks. Yep, Gamecocks have to be real hungry today coming off that solid win over Arkansas. And if the defense plays anywhere near as well today as it played last week. And if the Gamecocks take care of the football, you know, to me that's a recipe for disaster uh, to come in and play turnover ball today and give Tennessee a chance to get off the ropes. We talked earlier about uh, the differences in turnover margin for these two teams. Tennessee's minus four on the year. Carolina's plus seven. And if that trend continues, the Gamecocks should be in good position to pick up a win today in a place that, you know, historically has been very hard for the Gamecocks to win. So, Wes, good stuff today, man. We appreciate you. Thanks for being with us on the GC Game Day podcast. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, that's Wes Mitchell, and I'm Emerson Phillips. I want to send along our thanks to Chris Clark, to Brent Hubs with VolQuest.com, and also to Colin Taylor. And that's going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us for the Gamecock Central Game Day podcast. is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and 
Vermont, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.